Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. You join us today at the end of what's been quite a horrendous week, actually, um, obviously with the horrific news of the killing of uh, Sir David Amos MP. Um, so it's a it's a week, I guess, for um, pause and reflection. But when we're not having a, a partisan show tonight, um, what we'd actually uh, changed our schedule to be this evening anyway uh, was a show um, talking uh, about basically a, a stink that's being raised locally. Um, so we've got three esteemed guests that have joined us uh, this evening, uh, and those being uh, Sarah Shreve from Stop the Stop the Sewage Southsea, um, Alex Ford, um, a professor of biology at Portsmouth University, and Mike Owens, who's from Hailing Sewage Watch. So good evening. We'll, we'll get you to do a bit more of an introduction of, of yourselves in a minute. Don't <laughs> worry. Uh, it's not that frightening, honest. Indeed. So it's yeah. Uh, so I think it was all kind of started just over a week ago, where there was the notice put out that there were abnormal conditions, and um, then there's been lots of toing and froing since. So this evening we look to uh, explore what has actually gone. Um, so let's um, let's invite our guests to uh, to introduce themselves, starting with Sarah. Hi everybody, least qualified first, I think that's a good plan of attack. Um, so yeah, I'm Sarah, I'm from the group Stop the Sewage South Sea. Um, by trade, I'm a teacher educator, I'm the head of early years and primary for a big teacher training organisation. Um, and I am the newest to this of anyone on the call by a really long shot. Um, I would describe myself as fairly green and eco. I've always been involved in those things in Portsmouth with the zero waste movement, with repair cafe, things like that. Um, and I love the sea. I've always loved the beach. I've always loved going to the coast. But it wasn't until earlier this year when actually one of Alex's colleagues, another researcher at Portsmouth University, ran a course for people with chronic health conditions to explore sea swimming, that I took my engagement with the sea from uh, sailing and looking at it and occasionally paddling when on holiday through to bona fide sea swimming. And the impact it had on me was pretty much instantaneous and really incredible um i have a condition called eds which leads to a lot of joint dislocations um that's managed with some fairly nasty pain medication from the doctor and the impact of the cold water and being able to get exercising again when previously i was a runner and hadn't been able to do that since my diagnosis was really massive so i went from barely in the sea to someone get me out of the sea in about the space of two weeks um and just been merrily swimming through the summer using the beach boy app which i know mike was really instrumental in getting set up by hailing sewage watch and then the proverbial hit the fan no pun intended last weekend so the week before last weekend so we're talking the fourth the fifth the sixth of october we had a lot of rainfall and the the outlets got going and i was kind of sat in my house watching the app thinking I'm getting stiffer, I'm getting sore, but I can't work out when I'm meant to get into the sea because everything is red and everything is discharging, but I really, really need a swim. Um, it cleared, 
well, as much as you can say it cleared over the, the latter half of the week. And that Saturday was beautifully sunny, beautifully clear. And I think every sea swimmer in Portsmouth went, get in, let's go. This is our chance for getting in the sea. So myself and two of my friends from the same sea swimming course went for a swim, um, had a lovely time. There was a bit of an odd smell, but the weather was clear. I was thrilled to be back in the cold water. Even thought I'd risk a little bit of funk crawl. And I got out of the sea and found out that the Environment Agency had announced this abnormal bathing event. And I felt awful because one of my friends I was swimming with is immune suppressed. And that was one of the reasons she was on the course. So I just felt like I'd put my really good friend at risk. Um, I'd been like, yeah, let's go for a swim. It'll be great. And then this abnormal event had been announced and I felt horrible. So I did what anyone else does, went home and took my venting out on Facebook, set up a protest because I had been heading over to Hailing for theirs, which wasn't able to happen. I was like, fine, we'll have one. I'm just too cross. Um, Set it up. And then within the space of a week, we got up to 1,400 people in the group. We had 400 people at our protest yesterday. We really seem to have hit a nerve in the city that people are just not okay with it. And yeah, now in the, the come down after that protest, I'm really grateful to Mike and Alex for their support and helping us get things off the ground so fast. Um, it's been a pretty intense week, but yeah, that's me. Thank you, Sarah. So, Mike, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, um, my name's Mike Owens. Uh, I live on Hailing, and I've been a windsurfer for more years than I can care to remember, probably close to 35 years. Um, pretty much lived down, down the beach. And a decade ago or two, it was pretty easy to tell when there had been a sewage discharge. Because... Um, was that a boy racer because going past actually, the window? <laughs> it's not my house, no. <laughs> um, you could actually see the, the brown and the white bits floating by, which was quite a good visual indicator, really. Now they've taken those out, you can't actually see them. But um, people like me were getting uh, infections very regularly indeed, especially head and nose and any cuts you had. And most of the time it required antibiotics. Still, I'm still taking antibiotics from last weekend's debacle, so... You know, I was I was actually affected. Um, so it's, it's basically for me, it was all about uh, personal, uh, persistent personal um, infections whilst I was in the water. And, you know, I wasn't the only one. So my beef is uh, the health of people, uh, but also the health of the harbours, which, as we'll probably discover a bit later on in this programme, uh, you know, what the issues are there. And basically, I wanted to find out what was in the water. So... We, uh, I, I set up Hayden Sewage Watch, and soon after that, I set up some uh, a crowdfunding to try and test the water in the same way that the Environment Agency would on the bathing waters at West Beach. And basically, I wanted to fix it and get public warnings. And uh, Sarah's just alluded, uh, we managed to get um, Southern Water to create Beach Boy um, three or four years ago. So uh, stuff's happening. Um, people power seems to be working. I was really encouraged to see um, Sarah's demonstration over there attract so many people. It was quite exceptional, really, given that she started doing it. A, what was it a week ago, Sarah? I'm not sure. I think it was about a week ago, and so that was that was really, really good, and a really good out there turnout from from the people of Portsmouth. 
Perfect. Thank you, Mike. And oh, last I was gonna, sorry, I was going to say that uh, I was actually affected last, uh, sorry, Friday the 9th of October. I was out paddleboarding with about uh, 30 other people. And on the way out, there was a bit of a scum and, and poor turbidity of the water, but it, there was no real smell. And when I came in, when the tide had turned, there was a horrendous, it was a worst stench of smell in 40 years. And it was quite overpowering. Um, so that's when I reported it. But apparently some people reported it uh, as early as uh, Thursday morning, the day before. So it's not really quite clear. And there's no information in the public domain. So mm. we, we need to find that out. Absolutely. No, thank you, Mike. And last and by no means least, Alex. Cheers. Thank you. Um, Alex Ford. I'm a professor of biology at the University of Portsmouth. And um, my, my background expertise is in marine biology and environmental toxicology. So I, I study the effects of pollution on, on marine life. Not, no, I, I don't work with humans, but I came down to Portsmouth in 2008 and I saw these beautiful harbours that we have. And, um, and having studied the effects of the effluent that comes out of sewage treatment plants on life that lives in rivers and in the sea, I was, I was actually quite shocked the extent to which the, the sewage actually doesn't go through the sewage treatment plants and just goes straight out in the stormwater overflows. And a long, long time ago, I used to work for water company and pay for by water company finding wrong connections and things. And so I was a bit aware of how they function, the, the stormwater overflows, but the extent to which they go on around here is really quite extraordinary. And, um, and I was also quite shocked to find out that nobody's ever really looked into what, what the impacts of that is on, on the wildlife and our habitats around our coasts. That's excellent. Thank you, Alex. Okay, so moving... Oh, sorry, I've clicked away to the wrong screen then. So um, so I guess that we've kind of alluded it to a, to a little bit there. So um, with, with the next question, if I, if I come to... Um, Alex first what's the what's the beside the obvious the kind of smell and visual clues what's the how can local residents know it there's a particular issue at a particular time what's the wh how would they have an idea well I guess the indicator clues are the ones you mentioned is is the smell and the visible things you, you might see little bits of toilet paper you might see feces you might see sanitary products you might see a foaming of the water given the amount of kind of surfactants all the things that come out of our washing machines and, and dishwashers and things like that create a foam uh, but if you don't see them and very often a lot of this pollution you you don't see um it's having to rely on on the water companies or the environment agency to to let you know and that's where beach boy was 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 great in the sense that when it works it's good it does inform you that there's been a spill maybe 24 hours before you were planning to go swimming or kayaking or paddleboarding. Um, but sometimes it doesn't tell you. Sometimes it tells you retrospectively <laughs> a couple of days after you've been in. Um, so there's still work to do there. Um, but that is the problem at the moment is that, that people don't know and they aren't informed. Yeah, I, I guess so. Did um, um, Mike, did you have anything to add on that one? Well, I think, I think Alex is absolutely right. Um, you know, we, we've recently had uh, a, a number, we've had seven actually uh, discharges from Fort Cumberland, which is in Langston Entries, which, which effectively red flags, or, or Southern Water would red flag South Sea 
all the way over to East Oak on Haley. And uh, on two occasions this year, they've come back you know, days later and said, oh, sorry, we just built stuff in your seat. Uh, you know, that's not great. And they did they did blame it on a, some kind of software update, but that's starting to wear a bit thin now. Um, that, that, that really is the only, the only way. I, I would add that um, the, the bathing water profile, which every beach has, which the Environment Agency uh, manages, um, it's like it's a bit like beach but on a national scale and uh, any advice against bathing they post there but the problem with that is i, I bet if any of any of you guys know where that is it's buried deep deep into the da website and you know that's not sort of public information that's that's kind of academic searching type stuff it's really really bad so you know i think i think that that, that needs to change um, the EA, I mean, we, we all had uh, bathing water um, profile advice against bathing on five beaches and there were no signs on any beach at any time. And because it was such a nice day, as uh, Sarah's alluded, there were hundreds, on hailing anyway, there were hundreds of people in the water, enjoying the water. When there was a, when there was a advice against bathing for a pollutant they couldn't identify, it's just shocking, and, and I think the council, the local council, councils in this case, should should have stepped in there. And, I, and my thoughts were that, that that actually is is a requirement, but I've yet to establish that. Thank you. I massively agree with that, Mike. My mum and dad live in Edinburgh, and the in Scotland, the Scottish government do the live update signs on all beaches. So I'm just used to seeing them. They're there. It's a public service announcement. I find it bizarre that in Portsmouth, I can tell when the next bus is coming past my house, but I can't tell if I'm putting my life in danger by getting in the sea and going for a swim. And not everyone in my swimming groups are smartphone users. Not everybody's email and internet literate. It's not fair that we put a barrier to people using the sea that requires a certain level of tech or a certain level of ability to use the internet, especially when you think a lot of people coming here on holiday and bringing tourist cash into our economies won't have data allowance for the UK. They won't necessarily know that there's an app that they can download. I think also if you consider how much they're thinking of spending on new swimming pools, for the for in Portsmouth, I wouldn't know about Hayling, but there's plans, the uni's building one, there's maybe one at Blansbury Park, but there's a massive free swimming pool that we're all trying to use for our health and our well-being, and all we're asking for is some signs to tell us whether it's safe to get into the water or not. That doesn't seem a, 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 an unreasonable stance to take, Sarah, does it? It's, um, you know, so, so I think Mike, you touched on this a little bit. So, you know, if you if you can't see that the water is contaminated, and and you know, you jump in only to find out retrospectively a few days later. You know, what what are the risks to human health of of being in the sea when it it, it is as it was last weekend? Well, actually, we don't know what the what still we still don't know what the contaminant was. Uh, the environment agency have decided that it's that we made it all up, or we somehow imagined it. Um, but I I got stomach upset and I had an ear infection from being in the water. The water quite often 
Uh, I, I expect Alex could say a word about this, is that it looks like a macer I think the word is macerated. It's like putting wet toilet paper in water in a liquidizer, and you can you can see the fibers of that in the water. That's what I've found over the years. But yeah, other than that, it, it's it's tough, and, and people get all sorts of um, infections. But of course, one of the real problems is there's all sorts of stuff which Alex will be able to help me with. Uh, is is that you know you've got stuff like mercury, arsenic. PCBs, you've got a whole range of microplastics and other stuff, which we don't really know how much is there. And we really don't know what the effect on us and our environment is. It's it's quite shocking and nobody's measuring it. But that may change soon. Well, let's hope. So, Alex, I, I said you, you tend to work more with the, 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 the climate, the environment than with, uh, with people. But can you share some insight into you know, the, the kind of things that people might be picking up? Yeah, certainly, certainly ear, nose and throat infections, uh, diarrhea, those kind of things you're more likely to get if you're swimming in um, in um, sort of water that's had sort of sewage pollution in them. Not everybody will get them, but statistically you're more likely to get them. Um, uh, there's some research now that some people that do a lot of swimming in the water or surfing and are more likely to, to carry antibiotic resistant bacteria on them or in them um, because out of that sewage flows comes all the pharmaceuticals we take all the anti antibiotics the antidepressants mm. the headache tablets the contraceptive pill along with all those chemicals that we chuck down our sinks or down our dishwashers and washing machines so um sometimes the water companies can be a bit naughty because uh you, the, the the uh they tell our customers oh it's not sewage it's gray water and it's it's a bit of greenwashing or sometimes they say oh it's only one percent wastewater but that one percent depending on what that one percent is made up of can be quite toxic for our wildlife so over 20 years ago people were caging trout downstream of a sewage treatment plant and, and showing within a couple of weeks there'd be signs of feminization because of the estrogens and things in, in the sewage effluent and of course um, in Langston Harbour, Chichester Harbour, around the Isle of Wight, it, it's coming out very often on, on quite moderate rainfall without any treatment whatsoever. So our, our concerns before were our sewage treatment plants weren't, weren't efficient enough. Mm. But um, when, when they don't get any treatment whatsoever, other than being passed through a, through a sieve, um, then uh, we know that there's going to be impact on the environment. And I guess the other thing that struck me is that I've seen, you know, some some evidence that said that they they've used some of the environmental testing of wastewater to establish the levels of COVID in the population. So yeah, that's, that's right. So you, it's there's not too many concerns about the actual live virus, um, but you can detect um, COVID as as a proxy of the level of infection in the population. And you touched there on on the. Uh, I mean, I've been fishing in Portsmouth Harbour for 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 many years, but um, I, I guess you know, do do we know what the impact is of these regular sort of discharges are on the, you know, on the the fish and shellfish populations, you know, all along our coast? Uh, no, we we know Natural England have, have designated sort of Chichester Harbour as being heavily degraded and and further deteriorating. Um, we know our oyster beds have gone, our seagrass beds and our salt marshes are, are heavily impacted. Um, and there's a number of factors 
fishing, overfishing in the past. Uh, we have invasive species that have come in, uh, but these are quite sensitive habitats as well. And if you're if you're chucking chemicals over them quite regularly, then then it's very hard for them to come back. Thank you, Alex and Sarah. You you said uh, some of your friends were impacted, and uh, I guess is this the first time you've seen this, or is uh, are the seasoned sea swimmers aware that you know this can and does happen? Yeah, I think the sea swimming community are very aware of it. We tend to organise through WhatsApp groups and Facebook groups, and people are flagging when it's happening. And I know that some of our very seasoned triathletes two weeks ago were walking waist high into the water and just going, no, this is disgusting. It smells terrible. I can't. I'm getting straight back out. Um, and my one of my two friends was really ill last Saturday night, similar to Mike, had some fairly immediate health consequences. But I guess the, the counter question for me about what impact on our health does swimming in polluted water have is what impact on our health does not being allowed in the water yeah. have because sedentary lifestyle is an absolute killer um obviously for me personally there's a joint issue where the cold water is really helpful but i just if we were taking a dump on five-a-side football pitches or in ballet studios, or telling like in the middle of a tennis court, it would be seen as completely unacceptable. And these are ways that people stay fit and healthy. And the sea is that for so many of us, whether you're windsurfing or paddleboarding or swimming or kite surfing or whatever it may be, even if you're walking your dog alongside it without wanting to gag from the smell, yep. like there's huge health issues to the solution of, oh, well, don't go in when it's been raining. There's no other sport in this country that you're banned for because it's rained and the company's not doing their job. I think that's a fantastic point, sir. It is that, that element of, and I guess if many of our listeners, you know, if they're not involved in those kind of sports, won't have thought of the sea in the, in the same way that you've described it there, is, you know, this is the place where I, I you know, this is my gym. This is where I do my workout. Um, you know, and, and how can it be acceptable um, yeah. to, to contaminate I, it as badly as uh, as it has been? I said at the protest yesterday, it's like a reverse gym membership. I'm paying Southern Water to make my sports ground unusable. Like I could save myself the wastewater fees, poo in a bucket and take it with me to the sea and just chuck it in when I go for mm. my daily swim. And I'd be in the exact same situation, but slightly wealthier because I wouldn't be paying Southern Water to take my wastewater away. That's a, a, a terrifyingly vivid image you've given us, but it makes it makes absolute sense, Sarah. Yeah, um, we're not recommending it, but um, ah. yeah. So uh, thank you. So so I, I guess, and, and staying first of all with, with you, Sarah, with, so have there, this kind of seems like a, although to be fair, I know, well, is this is this a recent thing? Have there been any recent legislative changes or process changes that have made this uh made this an issue i guess the kind of the infrastructure side and the you know the the amount of population side has been an ever ever growing pressure on our on our sewage infrastructure for you know for years but it is the, is this recent stuff is it something what's happened that's kind of made it this bad well, the thing that's happened very recently that's made me really cross is Boris Johnson announcing that they're currently waiving all fines for illegal discharging. There hadn't actually been any reports that 
sewage companies were running out of the chemicals needed to treat the effluent, but he waived their fines anyway, just in case they did, because of the issues with the supply chain and getting chemicals to them. So it doesn't even seem, from what I've read in the press, that anyone raised a problem. It was just that he preemptively did it. Um, before that, obviously, Southern Water had their 19 million fine. Um, but as Mike said in his statement yesterday for the protest, if that had been used to build nine storm drains rather than just a fine for not dealing with the effluent properly, um, it would be a very, we'd be in a different situation right now. But yeah, I hate knowing at the moment that events like last week will be going inherently unpunished because of the lack of robust supply chains in light of COVID slash Brexit slash whatever we're blaming it on this week. And um and taking the taking the same question to Mike, have you got um have you have you got anything more to add on that one? Well, it's certainly true that uh, the transport arrangements uh, currently have stopped all of the, some of the cleaning chemicals that they use um, to treat our sewage. Um, I, I don't know whether there's any out. I'm not aware of any outstanding fines other than ninety million, but uh, it's certainly not great that they've been waived. Uh, I don't think, at the moment, we don't really know what happened uh, last weekend, so I, I don't know what else to add to that. But one thing's for sure, that whatever was in the water caused people to get to get sick. Okay, thanks. Alex, any more? Uh, a lot of the questions that come to me is, surely we can predict that the population is increasing and we knew for decades and decades that there was going to be changing rainfall patterns. So how come some of those excessive profits weren't put into um, upgrading the infrastructure? Given the, the more houses, then there's more revenue for the water company as well. Well, wasn't there recently a moratorium on house building in Portsmouth because of nitrate levels in the in the water? I was just going to hop on the back of that side and say, yeah, that did happen at planning, I believe. But I'm also really aware, linked to what Alex says, more people means more houses, which means more concrete and more roofs and more runoff. It's not just the sewage that those people are making. But I'm also super conscious in Portsmouth that two of my neighbours at the moment are having grass taken up and either astroturf or hard standing laid it's something like seventeen thousand more houses that they want us to build on port sea island there's literally nowhere for all of this water to go except down the storm drains because there's nowhere permeable for it to soak in other than the parks and the common um so I, I'm a bit confused as to how we can build that many more houses without having better sewage infrastructure, because we're just going to be chucking even more water down the drain. Yeah, it, it, it's a big one. And I know that um, uh, one of the followers of the, of the podcast had mentioned to us, they, they were aware of someone who, who worked basically in the, in the building industry and, and they'd, they'd suffered because of, uh, because of the moratorium on building. But if, it kind of seems to fly a bit in the face of if on one hand you pretty much bought building you had to bring building to a halt because of because uh, of nitrate levels but then on the other hand the waters the sewage treatment companies are basically given a, a great big waiver to say do what you like basically is that is that is, is that a fair assessment or am i just because it just seems a bit 
odd. Can I jump in? Do yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. So, so this all started, as far as I can make out around here, by Fairham Borough Council wanting to build a new town uh, north of Fairham. I think it's 2000, like a new village. And the way they got around the nitrate issue was just to buy a plot of land deep in the Isle of Wight. Ooh. Deep, deep in the Isle of Wight, they bought a piece of land and they basically stopped putting fertilizers on it, stopped putting cows urinating on it and all that sort of stuff. And, they, and that was the, it's like a carbon offset scheme, except for its nitrate offset scheme. And that's kind of ridiculous because the, the, the homes that they want to build are going to be depositing their waste into Portsmouth Harbour uh, and, and not into the Solent close to the Isle of Wight. Similarly, Haven't Borough Council saw an opportunity and they're using a farm in Warblington just down the road. And they're saying, right, well, they're, they're taking over the farm and they're offsetting all of their, I think it's 10,500 new homes over the next 10 years by, by offsetting against this, 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 uh, this farm's nitrate profile. Uh, and that's ridiculous because it takes years and years for nitrates to actually flush out of the soil anyway. So it's an unproven concept. And I guess just to follow on on that, and again, it, uh, the, the, the piece that's in, in my mind, in, in, and when we're talking about the fines and chemicals and everything else, and forgive me if any, nobody knows that, but I would have thought, based on what was described in terms of there were lumps of stuff and wet wipes and sanitary products. That that doesn't sound to me like a shortage of chemicals issue. You know, is it just a case that when it rains really heavily, that the, the, the southern water just take the view, oh, too much coming down the pipe, just open the sluice gates and pump it straight into the harbour? Is that, is that in reality what happens? Yes. Yes, I'm sure. Um, but, but they've got to be careful because they have to carefully manage the flow rates of those discharges. Otherwise, they'll be in contravention of the Environment Agency's permits and they'll get their backsides fined. So they do have to be careful, but that's essentially what happens. If they don't do that, then homes get sewage backing up into their toilets and uh, everything goes a bit pear-shaped. So, so is, is there an infrastructure issue? Is it, I think, Sarah, you mentioned storm drains or forgive me my lack of technical knowledge is there stuff that should have been done as the as the population of our of our little island increases that that hasn't happened yeah well in mike's statement he talked about the impact that having the storm drain built at fort cumberland made on what i believe was a fairly renowned and constant overflow so i'll just interrupt there a second yeah. what, what they've done is they put in storm uh, water tank retention so massive tanks not drains 40,000 uh, cubic meters worth and i think the thing i don't understand is why that and i understand i'm being naive but if you think in when they invented sewers to stop us all getting typhus and to stop us throwing our chamber pots out of the window into the road that must have caused some fair short-term upheaval in order mm. to build those systems but they did it because as a society they decided that they didn't want excrement in the road and people to get cholera anymore 
we haven't got that same commitment to managing this and making it so I mean Mike has been at this a lot longer than me so he's got so much knowledge but it still blows my mind that it's allowed in general when it rains for a managed flow of raw untreated sewage to go into the harbour like I understand that we don't want poo coming back up our toilets we don't want the sewage backing up but we've got a 90 year old tv star going to space and we can't work out a way to just not have any sewage going into the sea and it's probably naive but it's the thing that has been blowing my mind the most while i've been thinking about all of it I, I, I think it, uh, there are there are many points this evening which which you kind of you start furrowing your brow and saying um saying that um you know you kind of surely there's got to be another way so we can just touch on the ecological impact so Alex I'm going to just come to you first in terms of you know it, it, I know you said that that they're st it's starting to be looked at but you know is there anything you know is there anything that we can point at you know in the likes of Langston Harbour that that has changed in you said you you came down here is it 2008 in the last 12 years is there anything that your research has shown has already changed as a result of this issue uh well i think it was it was bad then and and, and it's still bad now I, i'm not quite sure whether there's been change i think we're just more aware of it i think those stormwater overflows are always kicking off um and yeah i think we're more aware of it now um i think Langston Harbour has been in such a degraded state for so long that natural England, to a certain extent, can't even grade it because you, you don't know what to compare it to. I think they had slightly better data for Chichester Harbour, so they're able to compare it to the past and know that it's in a really bad state. There was over, over 100 boats serving the oyster fishery in, uh, in Langston Harbour, and, they, and they've all gone. Uh, partly of that is because of the oyster fishery itself. Um, but... If there's a whole load of chemicals washing over the larvae of those oyster at the time when they're all spawning, then then they'll just die. They won't reseed. Mm. And those seagrass beds, which house the uh, seahorses and things, that the, the if the the roots are going down into sediment that are just full of metals and hydrocarbons and polybrominated flame retardants, all these chemicals we have in our everyday products that just end up not getting treated and taken out through the sewage treatment process but just every time there's a moderate bit of rainfall it just flushes out into langston harbour and of course we don't know how long it stays in langston harbour either whether it is what's the retention time whether it goes back and forth back and forth on every tide we we, we know um before the abnormal event that the environment agency um alerted us to um last week that the stormwater overflows had been going off for up to uh, four days worth if you added the minutes of every stormwater overflow in langston alone and if you if you add up all the ones around portsmouth and the isle of Wight and chichester harbour as well there was a phenomenal amount of sewage being pumped out into the Solent and right the way across the south south coast of england at that time and so i guess i've come to you mike you've you know you've been on your surfboard and you, you confess for the best part of 40 years you know ha, have you seen differences in in the in the ecology of the sea that you're you're surfing in yeah absolutely uh, like i said earlier that uh, we used to get a visual warning because uh in the old days uh, fort cumberland which is in the harbour entrance 
used to be the main point of discharge for Portsmouth sewage. And uh, of course, the screens weren't invented in those days and you saw everything laid before you. So you kind of knew what you were letting yourself in for. Now, all of those uh, lumps and bumps, they, they don't, they're not there. So if there's no smell, you get in. I mean, pathogens don't necessarily smell. So no. you know, you've got a bit of an issue. And of course, now uh, all of Portsmouth sewage is pumped in dry conditions. That is, in dry conditions, it's pumped to uh, Bud's Farm underneath the harbour. They've got a, a very long pipe between East Eastney and uh, Bud's Farm, and it's got a 1.1 metre pipe in there that takes Portsmouth sewage for processing, and they use the same pipe to dump it out into the solvent at the Long Sea Outfall. So. That's kind of an improvement in my lifetime, but you know, apart from that, not a lot of difference. I mean, all of the seagrasses used you used to see a lot of seagrasses when I first started windsurfing around the harbour, and now there's I don't know. Alex would say there's there's just a few little patches here and there. It's the same with Chichester Harbour too. Sarah, anything you'd like to add? Yes, the thing that makes me really sad in joining the dots that I hadn't until recently when I was I've been doing a lot of work with the zero waste groups and kind of the plastic reduction routes in Portsmouth and through that we met some of the groups who are trying to reseed the oyster beds so they mm. put some under BAR Land Rover and they're trying to ring bring it and they're working so hard and they're so passionate about what they're doing but we're still pumping the same stuff into the harbour and it just seems really heartbreaking that you've got volunteers and wildlife groups really doing what they can within their locus of control to try and restore some of the biodiversity but they're doing it against the ecological backdrop of four days two weeks ago of sewage coming into the sea it's really one step forward and two steps back it feels indeed and and just touching on you know one of the one of the stories i read this week was the environmental agency coming back and saying don't worry all that stuff you could see bobbing about uh, that wasn't a sewage discharge uh, it, it was a it was the rotting death of some algae i guess alex is our professor how, how did that story sound to yourself um, well, I didn't smell the smell. I wasn't there to smell it. But there was a massive storm on the 3rd of October. And if anybody was down on South Sea, there was enormous amounts of seaweed and, and marine life. And our kids were down there trying to save all the starfish and all the spider crabs and chuck them back in the sea. So I would have fully expected when that started to rot to give off a stink. Um, but the um, there's a lot of people who are, who, who, have, who would, I know and I trust reckon that they definitely spelt sewage and sometimes rotting seaweed has got a different smell to, mm. to sewage. Couple that with a lot of sanitary products that were found around Langston Harbour as well um, as an indicator. But there again, that could have been related to those four days worth of um, stormwater overflows that, that went off the week preceding. Now, it could have been there was an algal bloom um, off off into the Solent, uh, a sort of an autumnal algal bloom going on in the sea that, that was exacerbated by the just tons and tons and millions of litres of, uh, of sewage that just went out there. 
You've just given them nutrients to feed. It could have all bloomed up, foamed up and washed back in again. Yeah, so ultimately, even if it was the the, the death of billions of algae, they, the, that, uh, as you say, they were well nourished on the on the filth that had come out of uh, out out of the uh, southern water plant. Yeah, Sarah, would you like to add anything to that? Was it the, was it the algae that did it? I th I'd say that I was down on Tuesday and Wednesday around the storm, and it. I always think that rotting seaweed and things smells like the fish markets. It's yep. that really like iodine seasidey smell, and the 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 oddness to the water on Saturday wasn't like that. Um, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't the same as that. And I think the risk of sounding continually angry and naive in equal measure the the fact that the saturday was the abnormal event but it's totally cool that we had four days of sewage the week before but let's not worry about that we know what yeah. that was that was four days of raw sewage in the sea but that's fine yeah that's not abnormal sarah that's just the way things no, are the abnormal is what else was in the mix on saturday when the sun was shining we all got in and i think I, i'm some completely with mike we need to hold people to account and find out what that was but there's also the stockholm syndrome that five people who live around the solar are like oh yeah the poo the week before that's fine it's what's going on on saturday that we need to know about we do but what is this situation what's going on hmm, absolutely mike anything to add there yeah, um, so so far this year, we've had 100,000 minutes of sewage stormwater discharges into both of our harbours. 100,000 minutes. That's an awful lot. Some of those outfalls are 2.4 metres in diameter. And they kick off throwing a metre a second of stuff out. It's, it's dreadful. Um, but one of the things that I'm a bit perplexed about, and, and Alex might might be similarly so, is that Southern Water are telling me that discharges from, from Bud's Farm, which is right at the very top of the harbour, they never ever get out of the harbour entrance. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so that they can't have it both ways. They can either perpetually pollute the harbour or the pollution in the harbour comes out of the harbour, which I think it does, and pollutes all of our bathing waters. So they, they they say they're going to give me evidence that that is true. So I'm still waiting to see that. It's kind of on that point. Um, we've we've got a comment from um from Scoob Girl sixty eight on YouTube. He's, he's saying, so does this mean that our coveted blue flag awards need to be forfeited for our for our local beaches? If I can just bounce that back at Mike first and just see what the rest of you say. The problem with with blue flag beaches is that the typically the water is measured by the EA once a month for five months during the summer. So five days of sampling in 365 days. It's not that representative. Well, if it rains, I mean, last year we had four rainfall events between two samples. Well, how on earth is the Environment Agency's um, uh, robust mechanism going to detect sewage that's washed over our beaches? They don't find it and they're, they're bleating about it. So you know, it's just ridiculous. Um, you know, the Blue Flag Beach sampling arrangements are essentially a, a kind of tourist attraction tool. Look at our waters, they're generally pretty good. 
but you know, there's only one way of telling when, when, when the water's bad is by measuring it. And you can't actually get a result of how dirty it is at the time when you measure it, which is why I'm calling for Southern Water, uh, sorry, the um, Environment Agency to put our beaches, all of our beaches, given the amount of sewage discharges locally on their pollution risk forecasting system, which will analyse all of the, uh, the data of where all sewage is going and uh, they will give a daily pollution risk forecast. And that seems to me pretty reasonable. Okay. Um, Sarah, did you have anything on, on the blue flags? Yeah. I think just bouncing off what Mike said, I'm. it's lovely for the tourists, but I didn't move to be by the sea permanently because I'm a tourist. Like, I'm in the sea in the winter when it's raining every day, as are lots of us. We we swim year round we're in day in day out we're we've chosen to build our lives here we're contributing to the economy here we're raising families here we deserve to know robustly what's going on with our water all year round in a way that means something and doesn't just virtue signal so people will come here on a holiday and buy all our ice cream thank you and and just alex if um if i can bring you in on that one quickly yeah, I agree with Mike. Um, the, the, the done so infrequently, the, the, the chances of missing things are quite huge. So you're not going to fail. You're going to keep your blue flag. Uh, it'd be nice to have some bathing water statuses up in Langston Harbour and Chichester Harbour, um, where where the everybody's children are learning to sail and paddleboard and kayak. Because I suspect with the amount of sewage that's being pumped out there, they wouldn't pass. Um, the bacteria lasts about two days on average in, in the water. If it's sloshing about in the in the harbours a bit before it gets chucked out into the bathing water, they're not going to be able to grow those bacteria um, to a level where they fail to the EU standard. Um, but if they're, if they're only measuring it once a month, the chances of them catching it, if it was there, is so slim that, um, yeah, not fit for purpose. Okay. So... Um... I, if I can just ask you, because as we're, I can got an eye on the clock, so we're just trying to draw the last two quite um, quite short answers, if if that's okay. So if I go to go to Mike first, so what would you like to see water companies do and change to address this issue? Oh, a big question. So, I mean, first and foremost, they need to take this a bit more seriously. There, there's a lot of talk. I mean, I've been in meetings with. Uh, CEO Macaulay on a number of occasions and he comes across as being very contrite and he's saying a lot of great things and the government are saying a lot of great things about what he should be doing but the reality is there's no action happening. The second point I'd make is that they already have a solution to short-term pollution, i.e. stormwater pollution. Uh, we've already talked about Eastney uh, having installed 40,000 cubic metres of stormwater retention so that when the rain goes they empty the tanks back down to Bud's Farm it gets treated and disposed of in a normal way. Bud's Farm itself which which serves a similar population only has 7,000 cubic meters of storm storage. That's crazy they need to install more storm storage at all of the harbours uh, um, wastewater treatment works and and I would add that the one at um, Eastney cost between 10 and 15 million pounds, peanuts. And it happened within a year or two. 
they could solve this problem now at Bud's Farm, Thornham, Bosham, Fish, all of those places that have got wastewater treatments in the harbour. They could solve them with just a few tens of millions of pounds in a couple of years. They could solve it forever, as they have pretty much at Fort Cumberland. So there is a solution, and I, I, I think that uh, somebody needs to have a word in the ear of Southern Water and tell them that that's what they need to do. Perhaps a regulator might be involved, perhaps. Okay. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. So, um, Alex, anything, anything to add on, on what you'd want so, um, companies like Southern Water to do? Um, by the way, we did email them and ask and invite them to um, comment or indeed join the show, but we didn't hear back from them. They weren't keen. Well, we don't know how keen they were. We didn't hear from them. Well, they can't yeah. be that keen, otherwise you'd have come. Sorry, Alex. Yeah, I think um, if, if it was an oil company, they'd done a spill they'd be um, charged with, um, fined with the, the pollution they did. They would have to restore it. They'd have to restore the livelihoods of, of those people who, who's, uh, so the social, socioeconomic impacts of that pollution as well. Um, I don't think we even know what those social economic impacts are of the pollution going into the environment. Um, so I'd like them to contribute to the restoration efforts that are going on. Um, as Mike said, I think they need those those storm tanks as a as a um, short-term short solution locally and I think they need to build a new sewage treatment plant for this area because at the moment that one serves 410,000 people and at the moment every time it rains it doesn't go through the sewage treatment plant it goes straight into the harbours. So more more investment there's, I think there's a bit of a theme here. Sarah did um, did you have anything more to add on what Mike and Alex have said? I agree massively with both of them. I guess it also links to what I would want the council to do. What I really would like is, in addition to what Mike and Alex have said, is warning signs. And I think the easiest way for me to try and get them, and Mike has already tried to do this, is by asking councils to install them. But I'm incredibly conscious that COVID has just hit our communities really hard councils have been having to pay for their own ppe i'm a teacher schools are struggling post covid i think it would also be great given that they are causing the problem that they contributed towards the safety measures that are keeping it safe keeping us safe while we're cleaning it up that might be pie in the sky but i would love it if it was funded by them rather than by local authorities but if it has to be funded by local authorities so we get it so be it. It's better than recurring ear infections and a whole lot of DMV. So if I can carry that on, Sarah, just on to our final final question. So obviously there, there is a role for, for Southern Water, but I, I'm, I'm sure that there's a role for local authorities and national government. Are, are there some, some key points that you would like to see both of those uh, groups address, the local authority and the government? Yeah, I think locally we need these signs um, and we need we also need all of our local authorities to understand that they have to work together we're in a really odd situation it's the same with education where you've got hailing which is part of Haven borough council and hampshire county council portsmouth is a unitary local authority southampton is a unitary local authority the isle of wight is its own local authority but we all share the sea 
So trying to join the dots between all of those different, all of which will have a different political makeup, all of which will have different priorities, has to be really important so that we can work together to get something done. I'd really like the signs in place. And then from a government point of view, I just want them to care and see this for the issue that it is and to continue fining, to reinstate fines where they're necessary or to not say in the press, we won't fine you because there's no chemicals. But also this infrastructure needs to happen and they need to hold the water companies to account for making it happen. The fact that they're now independent businesses means they no longer sit under government, which is a whole different conversation. But government should be able to hold them to account to get tanks built and to improve infrastructure in a way that this doesn't happen as often. But giving a crap would be a great starting point. Thank you, Sarah. Alex, anything you would you think that the uh, local council and the government are falling short on and, and could and should do better? Um, I, I think certainly they've fallen short on the on the fact that exactly what Sarah said in the sense that they've been governing the land and forgetting about the bits of water that go between the different authorities. Um, there's no there's no line demarcating, and it's uh, maybe sometimes considered somebody else's problem. And um, in terms of wider government, um, stop stop uh, the short termism. Um, this has got to be a long term solution to this. Um, it's been suggested it could cost 200 billion to get rid of all stormwater overflows and separate the drains back to foul and, and surface waters. Um, so that's a lot of money. Um, but if we want to keep our rivers and our, on our coasts clean, so, so they provide the services for us in terms of our clean water and uh, on our food and various different things, we, we need to, to look at that. Perfect. Thank you, Alex. And Mike, any final thoughts from you on on council, local government, and their uh, their response to this? I, I my personal view is that Borough Council and Portsmouth City Council got caught out by this event, which happened on a on a Friday night, just after midnight. Um, I've heard that Portsmouth City Council didn't do anything or even read the emails or whatever whatever the communication was they didn't even read it till monday because everyone's off off sick at one when sorry not off sick off on their weekend at a time when you know people are in the water and most people are in the water at weekends a lot more people in the weekends than during the week um alex said that and he's right that that they're trying to fix all of the, the, the cso's uh, by separating the storm and the uh, rainwater, sorry, the sewage water. But, you know, like I said earlier, £10 million pounds fixes an awful lot of stormwater discharges. Mm. I think uh, Hamburg Borough Council, object, they, they've basically issued a, a statement based on the scant information that they have. And they haven't really looked at it because my understanding is that the investigation is still ongoing. And I got that from the EO and from southern water so they've just tried to cover their asses i'm not going to say that sorry yeah you can say that we've, yeah, we've used that know, phrase before okay fine so they're covering their asses i think we've used worse than that before yeah, we're all over this but, yeah. but actually they're not i've asked questions of them about what they knew and when and they've basically failed to get back to me as of the uh, to be fair 
Thank you, Mike. So as we let's close out the show, do, do, do any of you want to make just any final point? So, Stara? I think someone at the protest yesterday made the amazing point that it's also not about us siloing issues that are inherently linked. Like this is a huge issue and it's so important. And I'm so grateful that we have experts like Mike and Alex fighting and weighing in, but it's part of the wider issues. Like the biblical rainfalls are because of global warming. This is a wider problem in a climate crisis that isn't being taken seriously. And we have to deal with it. We need clean seas, but we also need to be seeing it as symptoms of the wider environmental trouble that we're in, particularly as we head towards COP26 in just a couple of weeks' time. Thank you, Sarah. Mike, any final thoughts? Yeah, two things. One is that the EA and or the local authorities really must put signs up on the beach if there's a problem. They did it in Thanet, they did it in Littlehampton. They could do it there. And the second point is, is that, you know, irrespective of any long-term planning, spending a few tens of million pounds on extra stormwater retention will stop stormwater discharges into our harbours. Now, they've taken a beating over the last 40 years. Let's keep hold of the stormwater and process it when the rainfall goes. Thank you, Mike. Alex, final thoughts? Yeah, just Mike just saying that's just reminded me. I, I used to be the person um, putting the, the water quality signs up 22 years ago on the beaches where I used to work, and I was there with a marker pen. So I'm sure in 22 years we could have come forward a little bit more and instead yeah. of having no signs, have something a little bit more sophisticated to let people know the water quality. And just the second thing I'd just like to say is just thanks to Sarah and Mike, because they're the heroes. And, and Sarah sort of bringing that group together and galvanizing the people of Portsmouth and South Sea uh, from all different walks of life to come to, to come to the beach a couple of days ago, just for that event it was just brilliant. So well done to them. Yeah, and on behalf of the Pompey Politics podcast, we'd like to thank you for coming because uh, th this has been a, a, a and serious as it is, has been a something that that all political elements can unite behind in what's been a, a very difficult couple of weeks. So, thank you for coming. You've been listening to the Pompey Politics podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris, uh, and our guests have been. Uh, I'm Mike Owens. I'm Um I'm Sarah Shreve from Stop the Sewage South Sea. And Alex Ford from the University of Portsmouth. Uh, and I've been Simon Sansbury. Please don't forget to join us next week uh, when we have Let's Stop Aquind back on the show. Um, between now and then, uh, Quasi Kwarteng is due to make um, his ruling about whether the Aquind project will be allowed to go ahead in Portsmouth. So we'll have them on to either celebrate um, the success of their grassroots campaign or to ask them um, what's next uh, for their campaign and how to move things forward. Uh, but please don't forget to comment, like, share, subscribe um, and to us wherever you um, reach, get the podcast. You can now join us live on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Twitch. And you can also catch the podcast um, when we upload it later in the evening, uh, wherever you get your podcast. But thank you very much for your support. You've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. <laughs>
feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. stop. See? It's easy. <laughs>